Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King, and you're listening to the Photography Podcast dedicated to getting you out there on an adventure of your own. I know that all of you have full-time jobs, full-time families, but you bought that camera for a reason. So pack your gear, grab your camera, get out there, get a flat tire. It's time for a Photog Adventure of your own. It's episode 172, and I am back after a North Carolina workshop, my first ever workshop off on the East Coast. And I'm excited to talk about what went well and what didn't go well. Share some Photog adventures that things were, you know, classic misadventures, classic solid adventure, things that'll get you excited about going out on an adventure of your own if you haven't yet. But first thing, the public service announcement is the Milky Way is gone. The Milky Way core is gone. It's true. The Milky Way core, now with the way the moon handles the timing, you know, with the way that the Milky Way is only visible for that first like 15 minutes to half an hour in November. And right now here in October, it's up for like an hour before it fully sets. But we all have a moon. We all have a moon that is hanging up later and later and later in the night and getting in the way. So it's just frustrating to say goodbye to another Milky Way core season, but we're saying hello to a winter Milky Way season. You're probably feeling like me, and it's like, I got to get out more. I'm going to do more this winter than I usually do. Normally, I'm totally tired and burned out. I'm like, I'm ready for a break. But this winter... I feel like I feel like I gotta get out and do some winter Milky Way panoramas. Chris Chris Woodruff. It's hard not to say Chris because it's Chris Woodruff, and I do that on the live stream sometimes during Milky Way Wednesday. Chris Chris Woodruff has inspired us all with his images from the winter Milky Way. Mary Beth Kaczynski has some awesome panoramas that she done has done recently. Not this year recently, but last year. And maybe the year before I too, I think, Mary Beth. But that those Milky Ways look so good with an astro-modified camera that it brings back, it brings about an opportunity for winter Milky Way. So I am going to focus on that in one of the episodes coming up. But before I get on too much of a tangent about that, let's just stop with the thought about winter Milky Way and know that it is coming in a future episode, possibly next week, honestly. It might be a perfect discussion to have because I just did a Milky Way Wednesday about it, and I can talk about what we learned on Milky Way Wednesday together as well as the advice I have for those of you considering doing a winter Milky Way panorama. The WMW, that's going to be next week, winter Milky Way. All right, let's get into today's topic, which is North Carolina. We're going to talk about five things. A depressing meal, first night near fatal, Blue Ridge Parkway, Milky Way, the good and the bad, four, the rocks at Fort Fisher, the good and the bad, five, the final goodbye to the Milky Way Corps hanging out on Caswell Beach by Oak Island Lighthouse, as well as my final goodbye that came right after I landed in Utah, went out that night with my children and a group from my church, and I taught them how to do Milky Way photography real quick, very fast. Not quite enough for them to remember how to do it on their own, but yeah, I'm going to share that story as well. So those are the five things that we're going to cover tonight. As we go into the first one, the depressing depressing meal. This is the biggest difference about going on these workshops without Brendan is that if I show up early, like I did a night early, I need to consider some of the costs. And I go, well, you know, and I'll pick up my rental on Monday and have just Monday through Friday vehicle rental instead of something from Sunday to Friday, where just that extra day being a weekend was adding so much more cost. 
So I was like, nah, I'll just get an Uber. I'll be fine. Maybe the hotel shuttle will be working, and I'll just take it from there. So I got a hotel that was an airport hotel. It'd be really close. Had a shuttle, yada, yada. Didn't have the shuttle working, of course. So I'm there, you know, kind of feeling a little stranded, having arrived in North Carolina after the worst, the worst flight ever. Have you ever made the mistake of trying to save money flying on Spirit Airlines? Yeah, I am going to denigrate Spirit Airlines. You are the worst. I get that you're going to add some extra costs like, okay, if you want to carry on, we're going to charge you. We're a cheaper flight, so we're going to charge you extra for the carry-on. $80? Okay, that's a little much. Yeah, but it's going to be $100 at the gate. You better pay now in advance. All right, I get that. It kind of is plenty annoying already with that, but... The plane has to be cheaper, too. The plane has to have elements that are trash. I mean, I had this one-quarter-sized tray table. Maybe that's too unfair. Maybe it was one-third the size of a normal tray table, tray table. Why do we have to get a fake version of a tray table? How much cost is there? Not only was it fake, but it's like this little metal flap that just comes down. Not that metal was worse than a plastic one, but it just seems like, wait, okay, the, sh- the cost shaving- savings... Was metal really that much better than the plastic form? I suppose so. So we got this little crummy flap that you come down, and it looks more like an extended banana. It's just the size of a semicircle that's one-third, maybe a little bit more than one-third the size of a normal tray table. So I can't put my iPad down on that. I could definitely not put my laptop on it. I was like, come on. I'm already having to be jammed in these seats like a sardine that has made a mistake. The sardine that's in there for being punished. Hey, Hey, you're punished now. You shouldn't have done what you did. And so I wasn't just a packed like a sardine kind of person. I was also in trouble and packed in a situation where it's more uncomfortable. And yet you can't give me a, a tray table to fit anything on. So I'm already having the miserable 4 a.m. to 4 p.m. North Carolina time flight. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh, this was a long day, and now I got to get an Uber for 17 bucks to go three minutes that way. If I walk, it's 45 minutes. If I ride with a vehicle, it's three minutes. All right, fine. 17 bucks is worth it. So I make it to the hotel, and before I get smart, I hung out at the hotel, took a shower. In fact, I took a bath. I was like, oh, time for a bath. Try to neutralize all of the stress and frustration of flying like a packed sardine who's being punished for all his sins. And I'm thinking, not about food. And before I knew it, it was 9 o'clock at night. I'm like, no, 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 you got to get food, buddy. You haven't eaten all day except for a little bit here because there's no way you were paying 17 extra dollars to Spirit to have like a biscuit. Oh, I'm very bitter about my experience with Spirit. I am never saving money flying with Spirit again. I ended up buying this North Carolina flight so late because I needed to wait for some money. I was like, I'm going to wait for some money to come in before I get that flight, and I really shouldn't have. I should have gotten it way back in August when I saw that there's a flight for 200 bucks. Maybe it was Spirit too, though, Aaron. It may have been Spirit, but back then it would have been great. Oh, it would have been great, because if I could have gotten any other flight, I'd have been so much happier. Instead, I spent nearly $500 to be miserable, and then an extra, what, $160 with that way there carry on that way back carry on $160 extra I know I know I could have found a flight for 660 that would have been better but I was like oh I gotta save some money I gotta be smart I'm shaking my head in disgust at my own 
poor planning. It's like I've never flown before or something. I mean, I think I've said on this podcast years ago when I was stuck in Oakland sleeping on a bench from midnight until 6 a.m. for them to wake up the Spirit Airlines booth so I can take my one-hour flight from San Francisco back to Utah. That was a bad day. I hated Spirit then, and why did I try him again? So I've arrived. It's 9 o'clock. I finally realized I need some food, and I decided to walk to Cracker Barrel. It was either Cracker Barrel, Jersey Mike's, um, Wendy's, but not with the vehicles. So I had to walk through their drive-through. They did not have the lobby open, and I think there was one more option. Oh, Texas Roadhouse, and I didn't want to spend too much money at Texas Roadhouse. Really should have gone there. And I was thinking, okay, what's still open? What can work? I'll walk there, Cracker Barrel, fine. I get there by 9.15, and they're like, we are really behind, very low, st- short-staffed. Everyone noticed that, the ridiculousness since COVID and how it's just everything's short-staffed and the, the help is way worse than it used to be. Um, service is bad. I feel for the wait- re- waitresses and waiters and the restaurant owners and everything, but it is frustrating out there with restaurants lately. So I'm standing in line with another family as we're waiting to kind of get seated. We're like, please seat us. And there's another couple of guys that are waiting to get seated. And we're waiting for 20 minutes. And they're closing at 10. So it's 9.15 leaking into 9.35. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We've got to be seated, I hope, soon. And we finally did, all of us at the same time. So I'm like, good. They put me down in a chair with my back to everybody. And that was a mistake. After 10 minutes of not being noticed or talked to or even given a water, I'm like, okay, I better sit on this side of the table and stare at them, you know, in a polite way, (laughs) not a passive aggressive way, but a polite way, looking at them like, hey, eye contact, waiters, waitresses, anyone want to come bring me a biscuit? I'm talking about biscuits again. Anyone want to bring me some water? I'd like to order. I mean, it's almost, you're going to close the grill soon. I, I need to order. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I started feeling lonely. <laughs> I didn't just feel forgotten at the ho- at the uh, restaurant, but I felt forgotten in life. I've been up since 4 a.m., so everything's like hitting me harder. It's like, oh, on a regular day, this would be just like a shrug off. But on a day like that, I was like questioning my life choices. Once again, the sardine who's being punished for his sins. I'm now the guy who everyone else has gotten food now who had came in with me, had come in with me, and I'm not getting even water. Ugh, I look at the clock. I look at them in the back in the kitchen and how they're just basically preparing for the night to be over. And I'm thinking, okay, I can't. I, I, if I even begin to get their attention and they're like, oh, wow, sorry, let's get you some food. I'd be getting the worst version of no matter what I ordered, you know? That feeling of end of the day, you can hear the cook in the back going, what, someone else needs to order what? Um, Let me put this together with that. Not that I'm maliciously thinking that the cook would ruin it on purpose. I just think that they put away things, and they're going to put some things together that weren't normally there, and like, oh, let me grab that. I mean, I'm not accusing them of making it out of, like, trash, but it's just you just don't think they're going to get their best work. No offense to them. And I wouldn't expect much different. If it was me working the, the table back there, the cook, the grill, I would be thinking, oh, my gosh, who needs something? It's like 10 minutes till we close. So I didn't want to push my luck with that. I was like, forget it. I'm not going to take the calories because I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm not going to take the money cost if I'm not going to get something, you know, perfect quality or at least as high as they can. So I left, and that is not the depressing meal. <laughs> That's not the depressing part of the meal. It was the depressing begin. It was the catalyst for the depressing meal. I went to a gas station, 
And I'm like, you know, since I can't get real food, I'm going to get a Reese's. I'm going to get a Reese's Nut Rages something other outstanding bar. It was like two of these Reese's bars that are invented recently, mashed in with pretzels and nuts and Reese's peanut butter and crumble this and something else of that. And hey, how about, so I was like, okay, I'll try these two different bars. Why not? They seem tasty. And I got some Coke Zero because, you know, watching calories, right? As I eat 700 calories in Reese's peanut butter bars, I wasn't planning on eating the whole thing. I ended up eating half or part of each candy bar and throwing them away. That's what I did. It's like, I got my taste. I got my craving fulfilled. I got my, I felt bad for myself, pity party food. Now I can relax and throw it away and feel like I'm still trying to watch my diet because I'm trying to Trying to milk my pudding pops that are covering my body. You know what I mean? I got some fat pudding cups that just want them gone. I want my pecs back. I can just be honest. I want my pecs to be the only thing seen and not their hard candy shit. Well, hard, flabby candy covering. So I get that from the gas station. I get back to the hotel and I'm like, I don't want to eat this for dinner. <laughs> this can't be my dinner. Two Coke Zeros and two candy bars. I'm going to die in my sleep tonight. So I looked at what the hotel had because they had a little bit of a lobby food. I'm like, hey, they got some options and some freezers back there. And I picked up a Stouffer's mac and cheese for five bucks and a Hot Pocket pizza for five bucks. So two Hot Pocket pizzas and Stouffer's. So there I am, 10, 15 at this point. And for me, it's only 8.15, but for there, it's 10.15. So I'm not feeling it's that late at night to eat. It's not the worst, but I'm at a microwave putting together a coffee dispenser setup of straws and napkins and paper towels and small little plates to be my um, microwave-safe situation as I put Hawk Pocket on like a balancing act of straws and napkins so that I can kind of keep it off of the dirty tray in the microwave in the hotel. And then I cooked those while I sat there questioning my decisions in life. And then I cooked the other, the Stouffer's mac and cheese while I ate the Hot Pockets and burned the roof of my mouth. You know, the classic Hot Pocket, too cold and not tasty on the outside, but burns the heck out of your mouth and sloughs the skin of your throat as it goes down. Hmm, Yeah, it's wonderful. So I'm thinking, man, when I came with Brendan, we got a hotel. We we went to Roger. Well, actually, we stayed with Jordan, hung out with him. We got regular food and meals. I had a rental car. Oh, I missed having a, a buddy to go out in these workshops with because the first night when I'm in a completely different state and don't have any of my supplies, any of my normal haunts that I like to go to, it was depressing. It got so depressing. Once I had all of my heated up meals, the Reese's peanut butter cup stuff out, and the uh, Coke Zeros, I took a picture. I was watching some Steve Carell rom-com and eating this trash and with a tear in my eye I laughed I was like not a good start to this workshop not a good start to this week in North Carolina yikes little did I know that that wasn't going to be the worst way to start there was an even worse way to start all of this and that begins with our first night near fatal incident up at Lynn Cove Viaduct 
For those of you who have been to North Carolina and gone up to the Blue Ridge Parkway, you know how that half an hour drive from Boone gets you right up there on a winding road through all of the nice leaves and trees and colors and fall colors awesomeness to a point where you hit the Linco Viaduct that takes the road off of the mountain and rides it off of the outside of it. So instead of building it in a cut in on the land, they put some pylons and they float the road for a, a stretch, a small stretch, a nice winding S-curve stretch. It's quite beautiful. It's quite photogenic. But because of this viaduct being a nice level road, it doesn't go up and enter your picture unless you go up on the hill a little bit. Well, you go up on that hill, what do you do? You bring every tree leaf and every tree canopy blocking your view of the Linco Viaduct, except for one rock. One rock that it looks like those that manage the area want people not to go on because they've placed these wooden kind of X-shape, uh, what do you call them? Think of them like barriers, just barriers, but they're just little fences, but they're not high. They're not meant to block people from walking necessarily, just for blocking people from parking on the grass right there on the shoulder of the of the road. And I'm, we were all pretty certain that it'd be okay if we walked up this well-trod, well-worn path up to the rock and that it wasn't going to be terrible, but we were crossing over that X-shaped wood fence that was a little barrier for, you know, knee-high, maybe knee-high is all it was. So it felt like eh, it was on the gray, it was in the gray area of whether or not we were crossing a path we shouldn't. Well, we go up there, and I'm showing people around, like, this is the rock. I mean, this rock right here is perfect for the composition, and I take them up to it and show them how hard it is to get up here. It's it's really, you got to picture something that's about 10 feet tall. So with a normal five, <laughs> I almost just said a normal five foot five person. That's not normal, Aaron. That's just your height. That's your height. A person who is normal more than me and actually hits five, six and higher, you know, you're talking like the rock is barely taller than you. You just kind of reach up, put a foothold down, put a foot there, got another foothold, handhold, boom, boom, you're up. And then you're standing on this rock that has a slant backwards, the little craggly holes that you can kind of get your balance on. It's not flat. It's not big. It's not like a big table that has a flat surface that you can stand three or four people on, but it's a rock. It's more like someone has carved out a bunch of styrofoam and made a jagged, slanted angle rock face for you to step on, and that was it. You know, it wasn't much more. We could fit three people safely, four people with me. You know, someone like me who's going to go out to the most uncomfortable edge, put up a tripod, crouch in a funny way, uncomfortable, and capture the shot. However, back in 2017, there was an element that was so much stronger at this rock than it was when we came. To emphasize, the view from this rock perch, this perch right here, gets above the trees, and you look down on the Linco Viaduct, and you see the shape of the S of the viaduct really, really well. And that is where almost all pictures of the Linco Viaduct have been captured. If you ever see Linco Viaduct from up higher, just a little bit higher, and you see the S curve in the fall colors, that is most likely from that rock. There's nothing else other than drone photography or your own tall vehicle that you can stand on that would give you something like that. 
And you can't park right there in the grass because they put those barriers there, the barricaded tree X-shaped things, you know, logs in the way. So you have to go up on this rock. So while I'm there and I show my workshop, half of the people are like, no, Aaron, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> I, I know my own self and I am not going to risk it. I'm like, yeah, good. Don't risk it. So I'm there holding hands, helping people go up and down, go backwards right here. Maybe it's easier. I'm right here. Everything I could do to keep everyone safe. We were. We were safe. We went back down deciding, no, nah, we're not going to do it. Well, I met Ravi. Ravi's like, hey, Aaron. And this is a flattering thing I shouldn't bring up, but it's just, I don't try, I'm trying, I should be more humble and not bring it up, but I just want to say that Ravi's a fan of the channel and a fan of the YouTube channel and he hadn't noticed that I was doing Milky Way Wednesdays again and was excited to hear that I have been actively doing them this year and he's looking forward to joining us on the stream. And I don't know, Ravi, but maybe you listen to the podcast as well. And if you are, hey man, so glad to hear you're alive. So glad to hear you're doing well. As long as you're hearing my voice right now, I'm excited about it, Ravi. So we are all down below getting ready. Okay, everyone, you want a blue hour shot here because you're not going to see much of the trees. A long exposure shot is an option you can take afterwards and you can try and test them against each other. But the view of the terrain right here, all of that is going to be good at a blue hour after sunset. So we're going to get ready for that. We get our tripods up. We're all ready to go. And we hear... Oh, 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 call nine, call 911, call 911. So here we are, hearing that, going, oh, whoa, okay, okay, uh, call 911. And we're calling, and we're getting good signal when someone's got a phone. Like, does your phone have signal? Because I got dropped. I was like, I don't know, I'm getting dropped too. I keep trying, I can hear that it's ringing, but it keeps getting dropped. And so there's like 17 people on the other side of the road, on our side of the road, all trying to make their phones work so that they can call 911. And... Luckily, in our group, David is a medic. He's a he's a PA. He's a he's a physician's assistant doctor, and he's been a medic in the military, and so he has experience and he knows exactly what to do. Also, he's also a paramedic. He's a paramedic too, and he goes up there. And you know, I didn't want to go and crowd the space. Um, Dave and Dave, we had two Daves in this workshop, and both Daves went up there to make sure everything's okay, which was great. They were responding, and so I was down at the bottom with the rest of the group, just hoping everything's okay, wondering who was hurt. And we see a bag getting brought down, and it's like, oh my gosh, that tripod bag! I know it. Why do I know that tripod bag? <gasps> An hour ago, Ravi, it was Ravi. I helped him pick that tripod bag up when he was, oh, it's Ravi. Ravi got hurt. No, it's Ravi. Oh, now my heart is extra hurting because I know the person. Not that I wouldn't have cared if it was someone who was a stranger, but I knew him. Wow. We finally got a couple who was down below on the path heading back towards the visitor center, and they had better signal off of there, or they had a better service, and they got through, and they said, hey, the ambulance is coming. We told them. And we're like, all right, awesome. Turns out, later I find out that Dave had a signal on his phone up there by Ravi, and um, he said, send everyone. <laughs> and so they were prepared just in case. Like, oh, up on the path, up on this rock, up above Linco Viaduct, we're prepared to bring a person down from a faraway place so they brought guys in the college age guys high school age guys guys in their mid 30s and 40s it was just a massive response it was awesome to see 
ambulance, fire truck, three different trucks that come from rangers to fire response to emergency response and rescue. They got a rope going up there. We're talking it's just 15 yards. I mean, it's just up and around a rock that's 20 yards off from the road. It's not far, but it is up a weird terrain, and they got a rope that's going through there so they can bring the stretcher and bring whoever's injured down. And it was just hairy and crazy, and it went right through our blue hour. <laughs> All of our frames had three to seven vehicles in our composition blocking the view, and we're like, well, we're not getting a blue hour shot anymore. So we luckily, um, Rob and Molly were able to get at least their shots of a blue hour or, or a before blue hour, more sunset, kind of barely beginning into twilight period time. They got something. And so it required us on the next day to come back with the other group to get their blue hour shot because they couldn't even do it because we were waiting for the ambulance to leave. Thankfully, Ravi was coherent. He was cogent. He was talking. He was asking what happened multiple times. He's like, how did I hit my head? What happened? Hey, uh, what happened? It's like, well, you fell. You fell. Oh, oh. And then a few minutes later, hey, what happened? How did I hit my head? You fell, Ravi. So that was the only thing that was like the biggest sign that he was still recovering from the wound. It wasn't like completely nothing. And he had a giant egg, a goose egg on the back of his head, Dave said. He wasn't up there feeling it and making sure there was no blood anywhere. He didn't get anything pierced or open wound but a giant goose egg, he said, just a baseball-sized goose egg. So what happened was Ravi was coming down backwards and slipped and fell back. And between the path, from the path to the rock we climb up, there's another rock on the opposite side of the path, and he went back apparently and just really clocked himself. And that, he hit it, fell forward, and was out cold. And that's when the guy was yelling, call 911, he's hurt. He saw the fall, and then once he saw him land, just completely passed out, um, that scared him, and he's like, we got to call 911 immediately. He is hurt. Thankfully, it wasn't worse, and it could have been worse, Ravi. I hope that everything is great. I hope that you have no lasting effects. I hope that you remember your name, and after you came down, you shook my hand, and we were talking, and you still remember talking to me recently, so you were all good there. I hope you and your family and everything is great. But we just it reminds us all to be extra careful when we're up there in places that are not terribly hard to scale and not difficult to stand on. But just that one false step, that one false step can really send you into a situation that you might be fine or you might have that one inch to the left that causes your head to hit just right and out you go. And now you wake up to an emergency responder who's asking you your name and everyone's helping carry you down a hill. So everyone be safe out there. I'm no one, <laughs> everyone still had jitters after that, and no one wanted to go to the rock. We didn't go for a sunrise at the rock, because like, how about the rock for sunrise? No, Aaron, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't want to? Yeah, I understand. It was a terrifying, near-fatal night. It could have been worse, but so glad Ravi's safe. As we left the hill that night after basically trying to get the best that we could out of the shot, doing some star tr light trails with me driving through back and forth, back and forth on the Linco Viaduct, giving them a subject for the foreground. We left with Ravi's car still there. And we're like, oh, Ravi, <laughs> I hope he's okay as we drive home 30 minutes to Boone where we were staying. 
So now number three, talking about the good and the bad of capturing a Milky Way and Blue Ridge Parkway, and it's not just from that spot at Linco Viaduct. So the great thing, the good thing, is that it is a dark location on the East Coast, and it's not a perfect Bortle location. It's Bortle 4. It is not totally dark, but it's a solid location that you can see the Milky Way core with your naked eye. You can capture and get clarity on it. What you do wish, though, is that you had a little bit more visibility on the lower part of the core, because if you wait for the Milky Way to come in later in the season where it'd be visible behind the Linco Viaduct, you have to wait for a period where there's some light bloom down below. I forget the area. Oh, it's like howling bloom, Bob. Seven. I can't even begin. I have to look at a map and I'm not going to do it right now. So that city out there has enough of a bloom that it's annoying if the Milky Way is on it from an earlier month. But as it comes more vertical and goes directly south, it's perfect. And it's lined up right over the Linco Viaduct in a great way. If you can make it safely up on that rock and hold that position... <gasps> I totally skipped a very important detail that I started talking about a change that happened from that spot because I said, oh, let me real quick emphasize what the view looks like. If you're thinking, I remember you saying that, Aaron, you never came back to it. Thank you for still listening until this point because, yes, the one big difference between 2017 and 2022 was five more years of tree growth, and it was significant. If you see the picture... Yeah, you know what? I don't have any pictures from this workshop because I didn't travel with my camera. I don't use my camera on workshops as a workshop leader, and so my principle is to not take pictures. So I don't have a good thumbnail other than sharing a thumbnail of my fall colors sunrise that I captured in October 2017 when I was out there with Brandon and Jordan Yance. Mr. Picture Monk, as well as, oh, what's the other? I can't remember the other thing. Jordan, but he's an awesome real estate photographer in North Carolina. So back then, we were both getting a great view of the bridge. But now it's starting to get a little crowded with leaves. And there's only maybe one or two, maybe one really great view point that doesn't have as much leaf, you know, encroaching on your composition and so you might not even be able to capture it there anytime soon unless you know the management of the area actually cuts back some of those trees and I don't think they will especially with this incident that happened with Ravi I'm sure it's not high on their priority list to encourage people to go up on that rock so they prefer if people don't but it is the best view so that's what changed the leaves were blocking that view and so I'm thinking, this is a great spot. It's dark-ish. It has that light pollution waiting for it to go in the position you'd want it to be over the Linco Viaduct. But you would want to be on that rock so you can see the Linco Viaduct have that nice windy road. That's when it's gorgeous. And so if you can work out some sort of ladder drone photography or something, you'd have an even better shot. But looking out the Milky Way over there, that vertical to slightly off to the left is the best, where you can even get Roa Fuki in there. That'd be great. At this time of year, we were not seeing the Roa Fuki. It was, no, we were. We did see it for a short period of time, but the ambulances didn't leave before that was already set. So we had that Roa Fuki area of Antares in the Scorpius constellation had already dipped below the, the tree line of the hill. So we blocked that out because the ambulances were there. 
So when you're thinking about going there, it'd be terrific to capture the Linko Viaduct. It is an awesome picture. It could be terrific with the blend of a blue hour sunset blend with a sky where you can see the best of everything. That would be awesome. And it's very close from Boone. If you stay in Boone, you can just drive a half an hour to get there as long as there's no traffic, which at this time of the year we went, it turned out to be a week after the peak of the color. And so during the peak color, it would have been nuts most likely, but we didn't have any traffic whatsoever. And nearly parking was easy too. The light trails with the cars going through there are a positive and a negative. They're a positive because they add interest and shape to the road, but it takes a lot more to get all of the shape that you want. And if you're down at the lower level, like on the street level, everything stacks on each other and you lose definition that just doesn't make it as strong. If you're up higher, like in the picture on the thumbnail that you're going to see on this, this, this episode, you'll see, ah, oh, yeah, okay, that works. I can see the light trails that Aaron captured that morning and how it has some shape and it could even be better than that. But we just, that's the compromise from that rock. And it's the best you can get at that angle. So then some of the harder parts, like you said, it was like, like you said, like you said, Aaron, like I said, it's good and bad with the light trails because the cars coming frequently enough can really blow up your tracker. If you want to do a two-minute exposure and a car comes and shines lights right into your lens, it's going to flare out, ruin the shot, make it impossible to see the sky. You're not worried that that's lighting up the foreground. You're worried that the lights point right in there. So if a car is going the other direction, it doesn't matter the foreground gets blown out or you have a big long red trail in your shot. What's sucking is when it comes towards you and the cars are coming at you, if you do a tracked shot and you're almost done with the two-minute exposure and then a truck shows up and blasts a few frames of big white light and now the whole thing is ruined. So the trackers can be a challenge. Now, there are plenty of gaps between cars with long stretches, so you could pull it off, but you may find yourself a little frustrated depending on how busy that night is. And in October, it's not late enough at night to be less traffic. It's kind of the end of traffic and people are getting out of there or coming through. So when it's a 9 p.m. Milky Way, you're going to have more traffic than if it was a 2 a.m., obviously. 2 a.m., you'd have no trouble tracking and being out there and enjoying it. But that light bloom out there is getting a little big, and it may not work when you're looking so east. So then the tree line, that was a hard time with the foreground. We had the foreground of the tree line blocking our Milky Way core. So I mentioned the Blue Ridge Parkway doesn't have to be on Linco Viaduct. You can go back and get a view of the side of the Linco Viaduct. You see the pylons on the hill, but they become like a tiny 120th size on your foreground. It's not huge. It's like 120th. The entire image is just that Linco Viaduct shape, not an S shape, just, just pylons and cement. That's all you're looking at. A flat line with pylons underneath. it. That's all you should picture like any other bridge, any other thing. It's just nothing spectacular from that angle. So it means nothing to you. The fact that the Linco Viaduct is there is really insignificant. But there are spaces there where you have a saddle in the, in the uh, mountain range that you can get a big view of the Milky Way that will last very long. And so you can make October work from up there and have more time away from the light pollution with the Milky Way core and the Roa Fuki section of the Milky Way core visible. You could do it. And there's a radio tower with the big blinking red light which depending on your exposure, how high you push your ISO, it may be horrifying or it may just be that's the color of red on the left side of my frame and it's not ruining my shot. 
We ended up not being able to capture that because our second night, clouds found their way in. And even though there was a brilliant sky above us, our horizon where the Milky Way was was completely slapped down. It's like, hey, you wanted a Milky Way picture tonight? No chance. No chance of getting that. And we sat there getting colder and colder and colder and waited and waited and waited. We even had the um, Appalachian State Car Loving Club. What they call themselves? They're like the fancy car lovers or what was it? I'm sorry, guys, if you actually find this podcast. You had something about the car club, something about great cars. They all had muscle cars or really cool vehicles that they had, you know, spruced up in some cool way, have cool light bars, have cool upgrades you know with really loud engines and so they were having fun there's about 30 cars maybe that's extreme maybe 20 to 30 cars and they had a camera going and recording them zipping around the Blue Ridge Parkway and they're making a little video so they showed up in the parking lot when we were waiting down on the Blue Ridge Parkway at oh something lake it's just a little reservoir area where there's a campground behind there in the summer that Dave Dave from North Carolina was telling us that might not work that well with the lights in that campground in the summer. But um, they're showing up in our parking lot while we're waiting for the clouds to move. was just like, well, we can't even try anything anyway, so it's fine that they showed up. But if we had been capturing our Milky Way, that would have been really frustrating because they had so many headlights, so loud, and they sat there for about an hour, maybe 40 minutes, 40 minutes or something. So whew, it's a tough place to get around the light pollution, except looking directly south away from the distant city. But the options of that lake, the options of the tree line having the saddle where it gives you more room and it's dark still on the East Coast, and then the option of the Linco Viaduct is just terrific. And so it makes it really high potential of, of being a good shot. If you Google Linco Viaduct Milky Way, you will find plenty. In the day of drop-in Milky Ways, I can't vouch for them anymore. It's like, that could be dropped in... I don't know, but I've seen some that look very legit and classically possible, and the Milky Way is technically there and works out fantastic. So then when we're thinking, we got skunked on our second night, our first night got ruined, we at least got half the group to go up and get their blue hour shots. They didn't care what the sky looked like, and they captured their blue hour framing that they can bring into their blend, well, now a composite, really, in order to make their first night Milky Way work. So as I work with the workshop and we do some one-on-one uh, -on -one post processing Zoom calls, because if you go in a workshop with me and if you're listening to this and you haven't had yours yet, don't worry, I've got the Calendly out coming. Now it's my off season and I'm gonna get to all of those because I could not fit them in between workshops like I thought during this year. So we have a big delay on a lot of Zoom calls, but one-on-one -on -one post processing, if you get in a workshop, you get to have a one-on-one -on -one with me and we just do some post processing with your images when you're back home at your computer, at the gear that you understand that's your chance to edit your images from the workshop with me helping out and so I'm looking forward to seeing how these guys images turned out um, hopefully we have some great ones that are usable despite everything that went on with the ordeal of poor Ravi getting hurt so two nights at Linco Viaduct just to make sure one night works and we had a crazy incident on the good clear night and then we had a not clear night the next night but we drove away from all of that and went really as far as you can go in North Carolina from Blue Ridge Parkway all the way down to the beach at Wilmington I made the workshop drive and they weren't stoked about it they're like oh man that's a long drive and I'm sorry it's like 
Rob could drive all the way home to Ohio, and even Dave in Atlanta could drive all the way home from the Blue Ridge Parkway in five hours. But instead, I sent him five hours inland to go to the beach at Wilmington so we can go to the rocks at Fort Fisher. Number four, the topic number four. So the rocks at Fort Fisher, they are an interesting jetty. It's, it's really just like a harbor dike jetty situation where you got these rocks placed in position and cemented so that they can offer a harbor as the Cape Fear River is coming through there on one side and the other side is the Atlantic Ocean. And it's quite a terrific spot. Um, it's right off of um, Fort Fisher is actually a, a ferry from there to Fort Fisher. So Fort Fisher is not right there. Uh, the word, the name of the area behind us, I can't recall. But if you Google the rocks at Fort Fisher, you will find what we're talking about. And there's a turn on the jetty that faces perfectly Milky Way in the south. And I was so excited to capture right there until we started walking. Um, yeah, this was a challenge. And I knew that the swell of the water would be a challenge and maybe be too high, maybe be low. We'll see how it goes. But it was going to be heading towards low tide after um, 8 p.m. I was like, high tide was 6. And so by the time it was getting towards 8.39, when we had a chance for Milky Way, it was heading towards low tide, even though it wasn't lowest of the low tide. Uh, and well, no one really wanted to walk on those sketchy rocks. There were perfectly solid rocks to walk on except for a portion that had gotten beaten up by recent wave or in the last five years and it was just all broken up so you had to walk on rocks that when you step on them they roll they roll a little bit i understand not many people are excited about doing that kind of maneuver and risking an ankle sprain a knee injury I get it. Ah, I just I get so overly idealistic about certain spots when I think it would be easy for me. Uh, enjoy it while you can, Aaron, because one of my 10 years out from not being able to do that stuff that easy where I can leap around. When I was in the Faroe Islands, Katie kept saying that, man, uh, what'd she call me? Was I a billy goat? Um Something complimentary about me being pretty agile, having good agility, zipping around on the rocks on the shoreline of Faroe Islands, and I felt pretty good about myself. I got to admit, Katie, I was like, hey, thanks. I've still got it. <laughs> Not like an attractive I still got it, but a I have mobility and articulation in my legs still got it because that's something to be grateful for. I think any of you who are over a certain age or past an injury can attest that when your legs work, you take them for granted. And then when they stop working, you're like, oh, I miss those days where I could do that. Kind of like when you get sick and you're throwing up and you're hugging the toilet for 14 hours. You're like, remember when life, before I was throwing up, <laughs> do you remember how great it was when I could just eat whatever I wanted and I could stand up without being in agony? Yeah, those are the feelings you get probably when you have your knees or your back or your legs are just not quite cooperating and you can't do what you want to do. So I was grateful that I can do it, but I'm very idealistic when I get to positions like that. You know, see JHM and I over at um, Natural Bridge. Yeah, I remember that. That path was an easy hike, right? And then they're on the hike going, curse you, Aaron King. Curse you, you idiot. You blankety-blank, blank, stirred, blankety-blank, cur, uh, you know, a lot of that. So it's worth it in the end when they get there, though. And this would have been worth it if we could have gone all the way out. But there was definitely the tide still splashing over some parts. So the idea of getting past the teeter-totter rocks that might sprain all of our ankles, which didn't for me and Molly. Me and Molly went through. All right, Molly? woohoo! And then the rest of the group was like, we're not risking it. We've got 
lives to support. We got better things to do in our life than hurt ourselves right here for an okay shot. I'm like, ah, that's totally understandable. So they went back up on the hill, caught a nice tree where it had a nice field goal post of trees with the Milky Way coming through it. And like, there was a good compromise made there. But Molly and I couldn't go any further to a certain point because there's a lot of splashing and coming across our ankles. We would have gotten pretty wet. Waiting until the Milky Way was out, we could have done it, but I couldn't get anyone who wanted to go with me, and I would have had to ditch the workshop in order to go try. Because what I thought was about 100 yards was more like a half mile of jetty to walk out on with potentially teeter-totter rocks again or worse waves, who knows. It wasn't the coast of the Atlantic, there's still some beach on the other side of us. It's not like this jetty was the one breaker between Atlantic and the Cape Fear River, but there was plenty of water from the Cape Fear River that was active over this um, jetty, and it's just the rocks at Fort Fisher are really scenic, really cool looking. Jordan Yance, thanks, man. I love the look of it again. I was just taking such cool pictures on my phone. I was like, ah, I love the texture. The birds were walking around us. It was such a neat way to end the year, and after really cold in Boone, it was crazy warm and wonderful down there, and it was October. I felt like... Summer was still around the corner, but instead it's in the rear view window completely, and it's cold, and it's dreary. Ugh, I hate winter. So, we'll have to enjoy the winter Milky Way to get through that together. When you think about what worked and didn't work was we couldn't quite get to that position on the jetty that would have the jetty and the rocks just have a leading line straight into a vertical Milky Way. That would have been really cool. So when I go out and hang out with Jordan the next time I'm in North Carolina and hang out with his dad, Roger, that'll be a lot of fun. And I'll get a chance to walk all the way out to the jetty, risk only my life and my ankles and my knees and no one else's and see how well that lines up. Remember my favorite tool? If you watch on YouTube and you saw my new favorite on-site planning scouting tool, it was what... Um, it was what Alan Wallace showed me because someone else showed him and it's like, oh, look at this new update to the Sky Guide Pro. And you can get, basically you can see the sky as a wholly masked out sky showing a replacement sky where the foreground's visible, but the top is all the night sky. And so you can see the Milky Way on top of your foreground. And if you have a foreground like Mono Lake that has, you know, protruding or tall rocks that were breaking the plane, breaking the horizon, they stay visible while the mask works in the sky around them and behind them, which helps you really see how the Milky Way composition will come. You're like, oh, look at this rock actually blocks the Milky Way. But if I walk 10 feet this way, the rock is now framing the Milky Way core. Oh, this is where I want to be. It's such a good tool. You need to pay extra money for it, but like 30 bucks a year is so worth it to have this feature where it masks out the night sky. If you're going from sunset into dark twilight, you have a moment there where the sky is just the right color. And if it's all covered, it's all clear without clouds, you get the perfect mask. Go check out that YouTube video on my channel. It's a Milky Way Wednesday. And I talk about it being my favorite new tool for planning on site or something like that. So check it out. All right. So, yeah, those rocks would have possibly been the best shot, but they didn't quite work out. The challenges overall were the water level. There were lights that were local right there at the parking area. Those lights were annoyingly in the way. So they were lighting the terrain around us. You couldn't really get a terrain free, like black, dark terrain. You had to deal with some local light pollution, lighting your subject. But then the angle wasn't right without being at that right spot. And lastly, oh, 
what I was hoping wouldn't be too bad turned out to be horrible. And that's the distant Southport light bloom. The light bloom coming off of Southport was too great. And between us and Southport were some areas where some lights were up, a, a row of lights, and they ended up being kind of this, you know, airplane runway long set of lights underneath the Milky Way core, which is too bad because as a spoiled brat from Utah who watches the Milky Way without any light pollution, you go there and you go, oh man, those lights are in our way. Don't they understand? And so you just having to try and compromise with that is not something I typically have to do. But I found that at North Rim, if you watch that YouTube video that I'm editing, haven't fully finished it, that video shows how the lights off of the Grand Canyon Rim, South Rim, are annoying in the way, especially on a late season Milky Way. But on a May, when we go there for Nightscaper, those aren't going to be in the way, not that big stretch of them. So that's going to be great. Watch that video. You'll see what I'm talking about with that light. So those were the challenges, but it's just such a great texture at the rocks at Fort Fisher. When it's under the sunlight, it's so gorgeous for sunset, and it's really neat. It's a good, 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 good foreground for a hyper foreground focused stack that has a long, straight leading line. And a vertical Milky Way at the end of a long, straight line is a pretty cool balance and composition. Lastly, at Rocks of Fort Fisher, one of the highlights of it was helping Elise. Elise was with her parents, and they're like, oh, what are you guys doing? They're talking to Molly, and Molly's like, oh, I'm waiting for the Milky Way. And so now I show up after talking to Rob and Dave and Dave, the other side of the workshop, and I go join Molly out there on the rocks, and they're talking to Elise and her parents. And Molly's like, hey, she wants to capture the Milky Way, too. She's going to go home and get her camera real quick because her parents just barely moved out there to... Oh, I almost had the city name in my head. I can't think of it. Um, that was going to be awesome. Like, yeah, come get your first Milky Way shot ever. She went back 10 minutes, got her camera, and joined us, and even borrowed Molly's tripod. Thanks again, Molly, for loaning out your tripod so that she could just plop it on there and capture her Milky Way. And I helped her capture the 5D Mark III Canon, so it was really good. She didn't have a perfect lens for it, but we were able to get focused with some effort, and we were able to get our shot. Um, I didn't have my Carson Lumi Loop. I lost it on the way there. I didn't bring it. And so I ended up having to use my phone as like a Carson Lumi Loop. So my phone became a video camera on the backside of the LCD screen, and we zoomed in, pinch zoomed on my phone till you can see that orb. And then she managed to go back and forth while I tried to steady my hands, but I wasn't that steady. It could have been steadier. And Elise got her first Milky Way shots, and everyone was ecstatic. That was a lot of fun. I, I love seeing beginners get their first Milky Way. It is so satisfying for me to be able to say, yeah, get this focus, get this exposure, and there it is. <gasps> Look at your shot. And then they see what shows up on the back of the LCD screen, and they're just so elated. It's so fun. Oh, it is what gives me life. It breathes happiness into me. I love it. I love it so much. So that was great with Elise. So as the podcast ends here, I have one final story. And it's just the Spirit Airlines. I've told you how much I hated it. So on the way back, I came early. But I left on our final night. Um, half our workshop actually had to go for family reasons. And so they couldn't be there for the fourth night of the workshop. So for the fourth night, Dave, Dave, and I, we went down past Southport and saw the beachfront there off of Caswell, Caswell Beach by the Oak Island Lighthouse. And that beachfront looks out away from all the big bad light pollution the only thing you start to see is um 
what is that city down there? Myrtle Beach. Myrtle Beach on the far right southwest, you start to see Myrtle Beach light pollution. The bloom is big enough from there because it's like a little Vegas, and it is just, uh, it is bright. And so it starts to light up the horizon, but not high in the horizon. So you've got a Milky Way that's off of the coastline, away from all the light pollution. The principle of standing in a high light polluted Bortle scale area, but looking out into a low Bortle, that's so perfect. A nice open dark sky, you can still see the Milky Way quite, quite well. We unfortunately couldn't make it work with the lighthouse behind us. They ended up having a section of the lighthouse that's visible all the way from the front looking north. But if you go on the north side of the lighthouse looking south, they gave us 10 like feet. So there's a fence post there, and it was a Coast Guard facility in the Coast Guard um, barracks, and that's where they keep their boats. And so everything was fenced off, and you were not allowed to go back there. I'm like, hey, guys, look at that parking lot, that parking lot on Google Maps. We'll just go in that parking lot and park there. And they're like, um, Aaron, are you familiar with fences? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean familiar with fences? As they zoom out and point out the giant fence line, they're like, you know the government doesn't let you do that. I'm like, why would the government be involved? I'm like, oh, that's the Coast Guard. Okay, I see what you're saying. <laughs> All right, Dave, I get it. We can't go back there. Crap. So then we ended up with a sh with a beach Milky Way shot only. A shot on the beach. That's why I start with a shh. It was a shot on the beach. We captured that, and it was the final Milky Way core moment for most of us. Dave from North Carolina, Dave, said he wasn't was going to try and go out again. I should check with him to see if he ended up going forward with it. Dave from Atlanta had to drive home, and so I said goodbye to those guys and the Milky Way core and said, see you in 2023. And yet... I got asked to help out with some group from my church to join up with them the following night. So I had one more night, but my best view of the Milky Way core was definitely at that beach, looking out over the horizon of the Atlantic Ocean and seeing far more of it than I was able to see here in Utah off of the train trestle that I go to classically. And so I left those guys after an IHOP dinner, and it was about midnight as I dropped them both off at their hotels, and then I had to drive to Raleigh-Durham because I figured, you know what? I have to be in an airport at 7 a.m. It's already midnight. Why pay for a hotel for like three hours of sleep? So I drove that night all the way through, and I got to tell you, Driving in North Carolina is tough at night. Um, there are a lot of deer on that road, and I was nervous, being extra tired as well, that I was going to plow through a deer. Yeesh. Other than that, it was great. It was easy, straight path, right up to Raleigh-Durham from Wilmington. Absolutely love Wilmington. It's such a great place. So then I arrive in Utah by 3 p.m., go and get my kids by 345. I have them for the weekend. I take them with me to go help them out at the Milky Way at the train trestle. And as I'm out there helping everyone learn their cameras, we go on the train trestle, we start separating. And a couple from the group, because we're talking like 20, 30 year olds, um, the young kids that are all single, right? And so this one couple seems a little interested in each other. And they break off from the group and go privately off to the right to capture their Milky Way shot even though they would have not been able to see it from there, at least not the train trestle plus the Milky Way. And my kids, my nine-year-old son and my six-year-old daughter were like, hey, where are you guys going? And so they all third-wheeled it over there to the couple. And I'm like, sorry, he's ruining your moment. And they said they were fine with it. So my kids are third-wheelers, and they like to third-wheel couples and hang out. Like, hey, what are you guys doing over here? You guys want to take pictures with us? And my my kids were just being kids, and it was fun. I had a fun time with them, and I said goodbye to the Milky Way technically for that night. 
Now the moon's up. Goodbye, Milky Way Core until 2023. Goodbye, North Carolina. I'm not going to do a workshop out there again just because of the challenges. I really wanted to do an East Coast workshop that would be helpful for those of you following who are on the East, but we really only had five people show up. So it's not something that's highly sought after, and I just love the Milky Way core over here in the southwest of the United States, the nice open dark skies, or the nice open dark shoreline of Oregon and California. Mm. Those are my favorites, so I will not be going back out to North Carolina anytime soon. If you have any requests, like you would love to see me out there, let's make a list, and if I can get a group of eight, I'll show up anyway. Knowing the compromised light pollution, I know some great places in North Carolina that we can make work out, and depending on the time of year, it might be fantastic. It's just uh, not going to prioritize it, that's for sure. So I loved it. I wished I could have brought my camera into a time lapse in every location to show you really what it went like, but I needed to keep less stuff in my bag since I knew I was going on Spirit Airlines and the cost already. And so I was like, ah, oh, got to bring clothes, got to bring this, got to bring warm clothes. All right, I won't bring my camera gear. And just wish I had, just wish I had to do a time lapse. So thank you guys so much for joining me for episode 172. North Carolina, I highly recommend if you're in that area. Like even Dave from Atlanta was saying, I could drive faster to here in the Blue Ridge Parkway than I could to go to Okefenokee and get in the dark area there. He said it's like eight hours from his home in Atlanta to go to Okefenokee, but only five hours for him to go up to Blue Ridge Parkway. So, hey, awesome. So if you're in the area and have the same challenge, consider the Blue Ridge Parkway. Consider North Carolina. So thanks all for being a part of this. It is now the winter. The Milky Way core is gone. But next week, I'll be here talking and teaching how you can capture a Milky Way panorama still throughout the winter. And what are the best times in the winter? The best time of nights that you should consider, depending on where you are, as well as some advice on how to handle a winter Milky Way, as well as get an Astro Modified camera. So we're going to talk about that next week. I'll come back. It's Monday today. Happy Halloween. And just for those of you paying attention, I am actually going to switch over to Mondays from now on for the podcast. So next Monday, I'll be back with a new episode. Thanks for listening. Get out there and have an adventure of your own. And I'll see you next week. Bye now. <laughs>